Hey everybody, it's Summer, and welcome back to Summer's Vibes Podcast. Today we're going to continue our four-part series on racism in America. This episode will be dedicated to mental health and how it has impacted black and brown communities. We are going to discuss the stigmas of mental health, why we put our mental health in the back burner, and what are some best practices. And I thought for today's guest, who better than to have Robin Dial, who is an experienced professional and a close friend of mine. Robin Dial is an associate clinical social worker and psychotherapist who received her Master of Social Work from the University of New England. She has experience working as a clinician in a full-service partnership agency in South Los Angeles, where she provided therapy for the severely mentally ill homeless population. She currently works as a psychotherapist for Soko Ray Therapy in Inglewood, a private practice geared towards serving Black, Indigenous people of color who suffer from anxiety, depression, trauma, grief, and loss. So Robin, thank you so much for being a part of today's podcast. Super excited to be here. I love this topic. So I just kind of wanted to dive in because the last episode we talked about racism in America and how that has, you know, obviously impacted uh, people of color, whether it's black and brown communities. So I really wanted to focus on a series dedicated to our community and uh, specifically millennials, people our age uh, and younger and letting them know the importance of their mental health and letting them in, you know, uh, dispelling those stigmas around uh, black mental health. So I guess the first thing I wanted to talk about is, you know, what is mental health and why is it important? Okay. So mental health is Basically, it includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It's important because it affects how we think, how we feel, and how we act, right? It determines how we handle life stressors, our, our ability to establish and maintain relationships, and influences the choices that we make. I mean, starting from childhood all the way up until adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all kind of like made up of our experiences. Um, Our experiences inform our values and our beliefs. Um, It informs how we view ourselves, how we view others, and how we view the world. And uh, when things happen along the way that disrupt our psychological, emotional, and social well-being, uh, it can show up in ways that can be debilitating if left unresolved. Got it. Yeah, Yeah. I, I do think that's important. And, you know, the thing is, is, you know, the main thing I kind of want to know is like, why does it get put on the back burner so much? Because, um, you know, me personally, I know that I never knew what anxiety was and I never knew what panic attacks were. And uh, I just thought, I legit thought something was wrong with me. I was like, oh my God, like something's like, something is medically wrong with me because I'm having heart palpitations Mm -hmm. and like, I can't breathe. Like I was so lost and, um, you know, so because I thought something was medically wrong with me and also because I'm like, okay, well maybe I do have anxiety, but I don't go get help for it. I'm just like, whatever, I just deal with it. It is what it is. And that's it. I don't, I don't care because I'm just going to continue about my day. It'll go away. But you know, why does that get put on the back burner and why doesn't our generation see that as something that maybe doesn't need to be attended to or not? Yeah, there's a lot of reasons why I think it gets put on the back burner, especially in the Black community. 
Um, number one, I feel like people aren't really educated on mental health, mental illness, all of that, just in general. I feel like it's been a taboo subject, is a fit, very stigmatized. Um, you know, when we think of mental health or mental illness, we automatically think of the world crazy. I mean, the word crazy, which has like a negative connotation, right? right. And we always picture mental illness as like the most severest type, you know, like schizophrenia or bipolar that like, if you're not out on the street corner talking to yourself, you good. You know what I'm right, saying? Right, right. Right. If, you're, if, if they haven't called uh, a 5150 on you and you're involuntarily committed, <laughs> you are good. You know, I feel like that's, that's one reason I think people just aren't educated. Mental health is a lot like physical health. It's not as tangible. Like, you can't see uh, your ailments the way you can, if you were to break an arm or, you know, whatever the case may be. But if you were to get into an accident tomorrow and break your leg and go to the doctor and the doctor says, Oh, you know, you're in really bad shape. You probably need to go to physical therapy so that you can regain your ability to walk. You would, you know, you would do what you had to do. And that's the same thing with mental health. It's almost like, you know, there's something that's happening in your brain, whether it be chemically or like, trauma or things that have happened in your life that's kind of uh, disrupted your ability to function properly, you may need to go to rehab to kind of rehabilitate yourself back into some level of higher functioning so that you can maintain your relationships, so that you can maintain your employment, so that you can have interactions without having yourself emotionally dysregulated and things like that so it's the same thing I think it's just hard for people to grasp because of all the stigmas that have come up around uh, mental health but I think that we're getting to a better place of of, of education and people mm -hmm. being open to it especially because there is so much more stress and so much more anxiety with you know unprecedented things like a pandemic you know mm -hmm. um the and with the pandemic we've also uh have shined a brighter light on racism that's already been there and the trauma that that historical trauma that's impacting us and we're all like kind of experiencing double you know double the stress and double the anxiety because of the civil unrest on top of just worrying about what's going to happen with this particular uh virus um as far as the black community is concerned, I've always heard, well, I hope older black people feel like, you know, depression, anxiety, that's a white man's disease. Exactly. That's a white man's disease. Exactly. Right? You know, that's a rich person's issue. Like you there's know, something whatever. wrong with you. Right. You listen, all you need to do is pray to Jesus <laughs> and you good. But a lot of people don't know that even in the Bible, there are scriptures that support the idea of the importance of counselors in your life. You know what I mean? That we're put here with these, these tools and these skills and this information that help you better understand yourself so that you can move and navigate through this world in a healthier way. And that also uh, is connected to your spirituality. There's tons of Christian therapists who, who bring that uh, element into the practice. So we're not separating you from the idea that you either going to do therapy or you're going to do religion. It's like this, the, all these things can be incorporated in one. Um, I do also know that we have been socialized to think, uh, by the way that we've been treated by white people in America, that 
when we experience certain things, it's not a it's not a mental health issue. It's a disruptive issue. So like um, in school, white kids who who might act up in school, mm-hmm. um, they might get diagnosed as depressed and 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 receive counseling for that and be tended to in a way that shows empathy for possibly things that are going on in their home. Whereas a, a black kid who is, might be acting out or behaving in such a way, he's considered disruptive and he gets disciplined. And that's considered to be a part of his identity as a, as a, as a black child that, that he just is inferior in a way that he can't maintain the same emotional regulation as everyone else in the class. But when a white person shows dysregulation, it's like, okay, We've got to stop and we've got to look at this um, from a different lens that's more empathetic. So I think that also kind of gives, has fueled the idea that Black people can't have mental illness when in actuality, every single Black person in the world is suffering from PTSD in some way, shape, or form. Historical trauma, racism is a pathology. Mm -hmm. It's not in the DSM where we diagnose everybody, but it's a fact that um, statistically, you know, we have a shorter lifespan, we have higher um, infant mortality rate because of discrimination, because of the stress of racism. Whereas the most educated black woman has a higher chance of having difficulties with her pregnancy uh, over the poorest, most uneducated white woman from you know, the depths yeah. of the trailer park has <laughs> has better chances in that, you know, situation, which just shows you the disparity based on just being Black yeah. in America. Yeah, I, yeah, I will say that I never, um, and I talked about this on the last episode, but I never realized, and, you know, maybe, you know, we, you know, black, black people don't realize it either, but sometimes I never realized that whether it was education or the workforce or just, uh, interactions with people, white people, I guess that sometimes you are so programmed and so used to it that you don't even realize when it's happening to you really what was occurring until I sat back and I said, man, that, that you know that's that systematic systemic thing mm-hmm, that they've mm-hmm. been talking about but you don't see it right you don't you yeah. don't really see it because you're so used to it and um you know i think in the long term you know that that does affect you and how you carry out uh different tasks or how you you know function is in society and what your relationships would yeah. look like with other people so yeah. um, 100% I agree with you. So, I mean, how do, we, how do we say, you know what, it is not a weakness for you as a Black person to understand the importance of your mental health, to understand that it is okay to talk to someone. Uh, you know, you made a really good point about how scripture supports, uh, you know, having a counselor in your life. And so maybe for the people who are spiritual, you know, how do we bring them into it? How, but in general, I guess, how do we bring our community in to say, this is not a weakness for you to go see a therapist. This is not a weakness for you to, you know, talk to someone and it's okay if you have anxiety, it's okay if you have depression. How do we 
make that okay in our community? First of all, let me just say in general, Black people are the strongest, most resilient people in the entire world. Like, no matter how much you try to knock us on down, we get right back up. And part of that is the problem. Part of that is the reason why it's so hard for us to be vulnerable and it's so hard for us to fall apart in a place that like if we fall apart, what's going to happen to us? Because even us being strong and resilient, we're still fighting so much and we're still suffering so much. So what happens if we throw up our hands and say we can't do it anymore? What position does that put us in? Instead of looking at it from a, from the frame of like, I need to tend to myself. If I can't be my best self for my community, if I'm not making sure that I'm resolving all these different components that I need to, uh, to address, that's going to help me be the best fighter for, you know, my community, you know, so I feel like most, because we're so strong and because we're so used to being strong that we don't even know that we're suffering half the time. You know, uh, most black men don't know that they are experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder from seeing cops, you know, constantly brutalize and kill people that look like them. You know, I have several friends, good, good, good people, and that doesn't determine whether or not you should be treated a certain way, but people who usually don't have issues with the law or anything like that. It's like getting in their car and having anxiety every time you see a cop car or just the fear of this may happen to me. I might be next. And now we're seeing more so we're seeing as women. I was watching a TED talk where this lady was just naming off women that had been brutalized by police. And I was just like, I've never even heard of these women. And I'm just like, it looks like it's proportionately against black males, but it's like not actually if we really were aware of all the stories um, that were existing right now, that we would see that like, you know, everybody is suffering from something. And it's like, because we've been marginalized and because we have a system that is built or set up to walk, to encourage failure for us. Right. It's like, you know, we're always trying to work harder to get ahead, to catch up because we don't have that equity. And it's like, who got time to sit down and talk about your feelings? Who got time to like, you know, really process this thing because they don't understand that when it comes to therapy, first of all, it's a space for you to feel supported, to feel seen and feel heard. And that is healing in itself, right? My practice is all about relatability. You know, it's all about saying like, I get you. I get your experiences. I'm not some stuffy white guy on the couch trying to, you know, be culture, like culturally humble. Like, let me be you. You're the expert on you. Educate me on yourself. Like, you don't want to have to give people the history. They can go read James Baldwin. I'm not your Negro. Like, you can go do that on your own. I'm here to like, I need somebody to meet me where I am. And right. so I think that's why it's so important to have black therapists. And for people to know that that we exist <laughs> yeah, and maybe see us as like, we're not somebody who's just sitting on a pedestal telling you what to do or how to feel that we truly have the professional tools, but the personal experience to like validate and confirm that you're not crazy. Yeah. Like you live in a fucked up world yeah. and that this is not about you. This is about us trying to give you the tools to help you 
to maintain some sort of peace in a chaotic space Agreed. that we don't have a lot of control over. Agreed. They, um, you know, I, I went to go see a therapist a couple of times, like, you know, kind of right before I graduated with my undergrad, um, you know, to work through family. But, you know, I will say that it was really hard to kind of relate to the therapist, um, you know, whether it was an age difference. And I did want to make sure that I, um, I did want to make sure that I kept a black therapist, but it was hard for me, I think, because of the age difference. And that, that's just, mm-hmm. that was, that's one of the things is I'm like, you know, are you, are you, I don't think you're getting what I'm saying. And then, you know, I think what happens with a lot of people, they may go once or they may go twice and they're like, oh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really feel that. I didn't really connect with that person. I think with a lot of people our age, you got to feel that vibe, right? Like, so if I can't feel your vibe, for me personally, if I can't feel your vibe and feeling like we're kind of connecting, it's like a one and done situation. So, yeah. you know, for young black, you know, men and women, you know, our age going through it, you know, it's important to me that I feel like they kind of connect with that person. So the fact that you all make it relatable in your practice and you sit down and it's like, hey, I'm just chopping it up with you, having a, you know, having a conversation, but here are some tools that we can kind of work through while, while we're at it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's important. I feel like there should be therapists for all different de- demographics all different um, age ranges, because these are all like, you have to take into consideration like things like age gaps and things like maybe you're married and I'm not married or you have kids, I don't have kids. All those things can influence uh, your decision-making. What I will say about therapy is that you are in charge. Always know that you can decide who you work with, you know? All therapists aren't created equal. Doesn't make those therapists bad. They may just not be compatible with what you need, the type of support you need. What I hear a lot of is that the traditional traditional therapy is very, very uh, the psychodynamic aspect where it's like a person kind of being very neutral and like sitting back like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so how does that make you feel? And how does that make you feel? Okay. And, and, you know, it's very, like, passive and, like, there's no no real response. And I feel like people also come into therapy sometimes wanting, like, tell me something, Tell me something. And and, and it's like, there's, you have to find that balance of, like, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'm also going to keep it real with you and I'm going to challenge you. And I find that everyone that comes to me has that same... I don't want to just be validated all the time, but I also want to be called out on my shit. I need some accountability. I need to, you know, do the work, you know? So um, that's what I like about new, newer practices and therapies is that, you know, I can come to you as I am and I can give you the support you need. I can hear you out, but I can also challenge you, you know, to challenge yourself to challenge and yourself you're not going to just come here and i'm just going to be like woo 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 you know until you feel better you're back you go, like, yeah agree i'm doing you a disservice and i'm doing myself a disservice exactly you know? 
Why that not? 50 minute session, we need to, we need to get it in, in, in that session time. No, a hundred percent. So I think that that is important, making sure that, you know, like you said, you are in control of how that therapy session is ran or, you know, how, or, you know, what you have a choice. You have mm-hmm. a choice. Exactly. And I think that it don't is, give up. Don't give up if you find what you don't like, because there's a lot of us out here. You know what I mean? Don't let that be your only therapeutic experience and let it deter you because everybody is different. Agreed. Agreed. So I guess I kind of want to switch gears and, um, you know, we're, we're nearing the end, but the last thing that I wanted to bring up was, um, you know, obviously we are in the midst of a pandemic, as they've been saying, um, you know, with the coronavirus, but also with racism. And today I was reading an article and it basically says 25% of young adults between the ages of 18 and 24 contemplated suicide during the pandemic. And so, you know, I just, what I kind of wanted to talk about and discuss is, you know, how do we stay sane in the middle of a pandemic? You know, what are some best practices that we can adopt, um, you know, especially with that age group, um, especially people who are caregivers, essential workers in our black and brown communities? First of all, the pandemic is such a wonderfully horrible thing, right? (laughs) It's like this thing that's like, has stopped the world in its tracks. And we've been so distracted, I think, by so many things in our lives that so much is coming for us, coming up for us, because we are sitting with ourselves and realizing that there are things that are impacting our daily life that we didn't even know was impacting our daily life. We didn't know that our functioning was low, you know, that we're not getting enough sleep, that we're not, our, our appetite is messed up or, or we're experiencing tension because we're so on the go all the time that this time has allowed us to kind of sit with ourselves. And I think that's why rates have probably gone up because people have that time on their hands to, to ruminate and worry and be concerned about what the future looks like, what happened in the past. And so I say that to say that one of the first things that I find very important in a pandemic is to learn tools that help you to stay present. Because when you are sitting with yourself, you can go all back and forth with like uh, what you did in the past. Why did I do that? I should have done something different. Or like, what's going to happen if my job uh, can't maintain this uh, during COVID and they furlough me? And we're all anticipating things or we're dwelling on things, which is like the difference between anxiety and depression. Depression, we're living in the past. Anxiety, we're living future when we live in the present it forces us to recognize what's actually happening in this very moment i'm okay in this moment i'm not sick in this moment i have a place to live in this moment i still have a job um if i don't have a job uh, right now what's happening for me i have resources i have support i have people around me uh what can i do in this moment to stay present and keep me present in this moment so i work a lot with uh people uh, teaching people like grounding skills and, and relaxation skills. It's something as simple as deep breathing um, and bringing yourself back to that breath and feeling it and feeling your body um, can bring you back to the moment at hand and get you out of that past, present rumination, which I think a lot of people um, 
were experiencing when they had nothing better to do and they had, you know, seen all of Netflix. <laughs> and, <Cool episodes. laughs> right, right. I, I got to the end of Netflix and Hulu. I don't know what else to do with myself. And I can't go and hang out with my friends. I can't go to my, you know, my bars and, you know, activities, bowl, whatever it is you like to do. Um, and so now it's like I've had to figure out creative ways to entertain myself, which I think is kind of dope, too, mm-hmm. is that here's an opportunity to find new ways to celebrate because we're, essentially we're never going to go back to what we were before this. It's always going to be a new normal, even if we're allowed to socialize and all those things. We're forever changed by this experience. And it's it's as sucky as it is to see people not be able to celebrate like they wanted to, whether they're having weddings or baby showers or graduations. It's like people have found so many creative ways to like still enjoy themselves and still celebrate people I it's love like the drive-bys the birthday yeah. drive-bys I love them I love them <laughs> yeah it's like oh my god you're probably going to be the only people to be able to say like I had a drive-by graduation okay that's crazy right <laughs> I survived this and I my family showed up for me and honked and drove by like yeah. even though like in our mind it's like oh I would have rather have had a party or whatever but it's like you're unique in that. I didn't get that. And I'm like, exactly. I'm kind of like, damn, that was cool. Right? I know. I was like, man, my graduation party sucked, but I got a, <laughs> a whole, I see a whole trail of cars, like, you know, yeah. hunking, passing by, uh, you know, passing by kids' houses. I'm like, yeah, that's dope. Like, I wish. <laughs> right, right, right. I will say to like, just a couple of, just a couple of things, minimizing our exposure to, to media, you know, Get, you know, set yourself a time limit, set boundaries with not just social media, but people keep it to a minimum. If you got that one person who has to send you every article that they read about COVID and the numbers and what's next and what, tell them like, I can only deal with this once a week or put their conversation on mute. You know, and it's important also to just recognize what you have control over and what you don't have control over. Because I think that we get tense about the idea of not having control. We're experiencing a lot of grief right now, grief and loss, because we've lost freedom. We've lost all the ways that we wanted to celebrate, how we've lost socializing, you know, with our family and friends. And we don't have control over that. And that just creates anxiety. So, you know, connecting, accepting that, you know, because we can't do anything about it, but doing the things that, and getting involved with the things that you can control, like, how you exist in your space. If you're working from home, make sure that you're delineating spaces for work versus relaxation versus uh, where you eat. Make sure that there's clear spaces for everything so that everything's not getting blurred together so you don't get in your bed where you were working on your laptop and feeling that stress of being still being in that workspace. And I would say finally, the most important thing, the very most important thing is to have self-compassion it's really 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 being kind to yourself you know implementing self-care forgiving yourself if you just couldn't do it today because you're overwhelmed just by the mere idea of what's happening outside of your home um don't feel like you have to be productive like we come from the society that pushes work 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 and no rest And so when we are in this situation where we can't work, 
we, we feel less than, we don't feel as valuable and worthy because we're not working on something. So we got to find a project, we got to be productive or who are we, right? And this is an opportunity to learn that like, I'm just as worthy and valuable when I'm resting and I'm giving myself a break and attending to myself in a lot of ways that I haven't in a long time, you know, taking that long bubble bath, uh, watching that favorite movie, um, spending time with your kids, you know, appreciating the free time that you have to do not a damn thing. <laughs> that's right. I know that's right. And I think, you know what, I think it's so important to have that self-care time like you talked about. And um, I hope that everybody is doing that, you know, taking the opportunity to appreciate yourself and uh, I, I, I definitely think that's important. I think we have some really good takeaways. Uh, what kind of stuck out to me in understanding how we have a histology of racism and the pathology that we have that really burdens us, you know, from time to time, whether it's uh, literally your health or your psyche, like you said, and um, understanding that you are in control of your therapy therapy session, but you're also in control of yourself and mm-hmm. to give yourself credit. Um, did you want to drop your IG handle, um, your practice? I know you're out in Cali, but it's all good. <laughs> it's all yeah, good okay. for everybody. <laughs> well, listen, if you ever, if you ever move to LA <laughs> or in California, in, anywhere in California, because we practice, we, we do virtual telehealth, um, you can check us out at your favorite therapist on IG. Also, uh, if you want some kind of therapeutic gems and, and information and banter, please check out our Hill and Chill AF. That's at Hill and Chill AF uh, Instagram, where you can see the link in our bio to all of our podcast uh, platforms, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, we on all that stuff. The YouTube, you can actually see us. Also, I'm working on my, I'm working on anxiety friendly. There are things on there that are tips for people who are experiencing uh, anxiety, uh, grounding skills, relaxation skills, coping coping statements and that page is becoming more developed where I'll actually be dropping videos and things and talking more about anxiety because of my personal experience and struggle with anxiety and then that's also my specialty um most of the clients that I work with experience uh anxiety and panic disorder Uh, for sure thank you so much for your time thank you Mary for having me I really appreciate you I love all the work that you're doing I think you're so awesome and amazing